you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 7. If you don't have a Bible, please just slip your hands up, and the ushers would be glad to grab one for you. You're welcome to look on your electronic device as well. There are many, many things about this letter, this, this text, that are incredibly difficult. This is one of those sets of Scripture, kind of as we work through Corinthians, as we see what God wants us to take from this section of Scripture. There's, this is just one of those ones that, that is incredibly difficult. And really, the rest of chapter 7 is a kind of a, 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 a really hard, for, hard one for us to kind of wrap our heads around and understand the context for which it means for us. If you think about what was happening in Corinth the day that this letter is being written, again, it was a church that was messed up. It's a church that was struggling to understand what it meant to really follow and live a life submitted to Christ in a world like Corinth and the way it was going. The Corinth had so many external gods. They had so many gods they were serving. Sexuality was, was out of control there. Even at this time, when we look at this text, even at this time, the, the Romans and, and both Jews alike, they believed that really it was, it was incredibly important that everyone be married. It, there was no thought or conversation or, or, or structure about the idea of someone remaining single. And so when this letter is written, when this is coming, we got to remember a couple of those contexts. The church was really struggling with divisiveness, and there was a bunch of struggles happening inside of the church. There were people doing all sorts of things that were not true to the character of God, and so they sent these questions. The Apostle Paul was there as his missionary journey for about 18 months, and so they send these questions to him to get answered as he's in Ephesus kind of writing back to them. So a lot of the, the things that he's answering, a lot of the things that he's talking about seem almost incomplete. They seem like, wait a second, what is what exactly is happening? Because a lot of the questions he answers, he leaves us with more questions in this text. But as I look at this text and as we get to dig into it, I realize that this is one of those ones that we kind of have to understand what's going on around it to, to hopefully give ourselves a healthy lens and let the Spirit of God help us discern how we are to navigate what it means for us today in, 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 within the context of us, not just the church in Corinth. But all that to be said, as, as one of these subjects go, this is the subject that is incredibly difficult. In fact, this is one that every single one of us have been affected by to some extent. Either personally we're going through a wrestle of it right now, or we've been, we've been confronted with this by our family members. And this is just one of those subjects that is really, really difficult. And so I know that as I dig into this scripture, as we work through this and look at this, especially since the way that it went, that this is going to leave you with some questions. And I just want to encourage you, if you have questions, if you are wrestling with the idea behind what's going on, what this means, please reach out to me, one of the elders. We'd love to meet with you and, and work through this. We don't presume to know all the things, but we'd love to submit ourselves to scripture alongside you and really look for what the Spirit of God would speak into each of your circumstances. One of the other things that was really rampant in this culture was this idea of sexuality and singleness. And like Danny talked about last week, he said, look, the beginning of this whole talk is this idea that there were people asking questions that were legitimate questions at their day. Because remember, it was in Corinth, it wasn't like it was a, a, heavy, a heavy Jewish population. Corinth was this Gentile nation. There was not a lot that knew the church, knew of Christ. And so when, when the Apostle Paul came in there, he starts preaching the gospel and people start coming to faith. Well, like any area, if you've ever been a part of a family that you weren't raised in the church, when, when one person or a few people start coming to faith, it starts asking questions. Well, now how do I live my life aligned to what this faith means in this culture that I'm in? And so some of the questions they were asking, like last week when Danny talked about the idea of having sex in marriage and, and abstaining, one of the legitimate questions they were asking was, well, since sexual desire seems to be somewhat evil, should we just not have sex even as a married couple? Should we abstain from it? And that's what he's answering. He's like, no, that's, that's not the point. One of the other questions they're worried about is, is a believer that is married to an unbeliever. is like, well, if I'm married to an unbeliever, do I become unclean if I interact within the side of the marriage 
ordinances that are required. And so these are all, some of them are very legitimate questions, but a lot of them as well are questions where people are trying to get out of things. They're like, well, I don't really like my wife, so she's kind of, you know, she's kind of an unbeliever, so let's look, can I find a way to get out of this? And so they were looking at it for selfish motivations too. So, so understand the context, that that's what's laying into it, that people are, are, are digging into that. But the very first section of the scripture is where we are, verse 6. We're going to read it again. Danny talked about it. But we have to understand something, that, that to, our, to what the Apostle Paul, inspired by God, is saying in the Scripture, was incredibly countercultural. When last week, when he, says, when he said the idea that for a, a husband, a wife's body is not her own, but it belongs to her husband, that was like, everyone's like, yeah, okay, we get it. It was the kind of system where women were not think, thought highly of, and so it's like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. But then he flips it and says, and husband, your body does not belong to you, but it belongs to your wife. That would have been like a record-scratching, this makes no sense, how dare you countercultural kind of statement. So when he's laying these things out, he's laying it to people that are, that are really wrestling with the reality of this and what does it mean to live true to Scripture. And so when he says those things, it's not that he's just, oh, okay, I'm just going to give you answers of how this is supposed to work with inside the culture you're in because everything he's saying is very countercultural. So we can't make this argument of, well, this, is, this applies then, but it can apply to our context today, even if it's not spelled out word for word here. And so let's dig in. And we'll talk about it a little bit here. Verse 6 out of chapter 7 is where we're going to start. Danny read this as well last week. He says, Now as a concession, not a command. There is a lot of disagreement on that statement that the concession might be that um, if because of your lack, lack of self-control to get married or the concession is for what is written afterwards. I think both work, but I think in this context, the way it's written, I think it does apply to what's coming afterwards. He's saying, look, it's not a command that I say this, but what I wish, I wish that all were as myself am, but each has his own gift. From God, one of one kind and one of the other. Now, what is his self as he's talking about? The, the, the Apostle Paul, while writing this, is not married. There's a lot of historians and a lot of scholars that believe that he was married at one point, and they, they pull it from a number of different scriptures. Uh, Romans 16, 13 talks about him saying, have, asking someone to say hello to who was someone that was once a mother to him as well. So it's like, is this his mother-in-law, potentially? Acts 26, verse 10 talks about him casting his vote as a part of the Sanhedrin. You could not be not married if you were actually a part of the Sanhedrin, but a lot of people don't know if he actually made it all the way there. But there's pretty strong evidence to assume that the, at one point, the Apostle Paul was married. Now, we don't know if he is widowed or if she left him in conversion. We, we, don't, we don't know what's going on. But he starts with this, says, it is my wish. I wish that all could be like me. I wish they all could be like me and single and stay unmarried. But it's not a command that everyone stays unmarried, which is important because that was one of the questions that was being brought to him. It's saying, well, should we just divorce because marriage is a distraction from serving God? He says, no, each of you have a gift. It's important. I want to talk about this real quickly because we're going to have a ton of time to talk about it later on. But anytime you see gift in scripture, it, it, it kind of brings about two ideas. One, it's given to us. And the other, the purpose of the gift is always to build up the church. That's the whole purpose of the gift. Now, in chapters 12 through 14, we'll spend a lot of time talking about gifts. But right here, he says, look, there is a gift. Some of you are a gift to be unmarried, to be celibate, to stay single. Again, in this culture, that was not looked on well. But he's saying there's a gift from God that some of you may do. He's, he's, he's actually affirming words that Jesus even said the very same thing in the Gospels. But he says, some of you are gifted to be married. Now, the reason I want to pause here is a lot of singles, and you're like, oh, man, more marriage stuff. Just do me this favor, please. Just listen today because what we're going to do is we're going to spend a lot of time over the next couple of weeks talking to singles because there's a lot of things that are important for us to understand as a single person now prior to being married. But, but just let me just throw this one out there. Married people, please do me a favor. Stop playing Cupid and trying to get single people to be married. 
Okay, like I just like, let me just say this right now because there are many people, and again, I, I get the heart. The motivation is you're happy and you love marriage and so you think they're happy. But what, what we're saying without really saying it is that you're not complete until you're married. And nowhere, I don't care what movie coined you complete me, right? Jesus Christ, we are completed. We are complete in Christ. So I am complete apart from my wife. Now I'm one with my wife and the completion is beautiful there, but it's not that I'm not who I'm supposed to be until I'm married. We've got to stop putting that pressure on marriage. Right here, he's saying, look, some of you are called to be single. Let me just say this right now. If you are single, you are called to be single. You are gifted, gifted to be single. Now, that may change. In all spiritual gifts, we see that there are times within inside the spiritual gifts where you may have the gift of teaching for a season, for a purpose of what? To build up the church. And God may say, okay, this time is not there. You may have the gift of healing for this time. We'll talk all about those gifts when we get to that chapter. But the point is, is that sometimes there are seasons. Now, when you are gifted to be married, the only thing that we see, this is interesting, when we say gifted to be married or gifted to be single, these are the only gifts that we really get a whole lot of, this is how you're supposed to use this gift. So I would say this, if you are gifted to be married, you are, you are gifted to be married for eternity, unless God sees something happen to your spouse in death, and that would mean that you are now free to be married again or to remain single, depending on where you believe God is leading you in that moment. So there are seasons for this reason. Does that make sense? Does gifts make sense for everyone? Not if you're even here awake. I know it's a Labor Day weekend. Some of you are tired. Okay, got it. So he's talking about this idea that, that gifting is there. So the reason why I say this is that there are some people in here that believe that they can't take part in the church until they get married. That they're not valuable, that, that as a single person, they don't have a role. Their gifts aren't important. They can't be used. And we perpetuate that as a church by only creating positions and things for married people to do and not really pulling them along. And so my encouragement to married people, to nuclear families that are here, involve these single people in your family. Fold them in. Let them become a part of your family so they can experience the family because some of them may be gifted to be single their whole life and you are expected to be that family to them as the church of God. We're going to talk a lot more about singleness as we go on in the weeks, but I had, to, I had to kind of pause there because what we're going to move into now is this idea of married people, and that's where the scriptures are taken. And in this section, again, if you are single, please don't check out. It's incredibly important for us to pay attention to this because at the end of the day, a lot of you statistically will be married, even though the statistics are 50-50. Have you ever thought about that? 50% of marriages end up in divorce. That's including inside the church. How horrible is that? Most people wouldn't invest financially if those were the odds. Like, I'm not going to give something that's 50-50. Many of you won't do something that's like 50-50, live or die, right? Like, I don't know, some of you thrill seekers, that's a whole other thing, right? But like, but a lot of people wouldn't do that, right? They'd be like, I'm not going to do that if I have a 50% chance of dying. But yet, that's the statistic for marriage, whether inside or outside the church. You know, one of the biggest issues in Corinth was, was that the way that the believers in Corinth were operating was just like the culture. Remember, you're divided like the culture would. You're doing lawsuits like the culture. You're not living as a part of the kingdom of God that you are a part, you've been grafted into. Why wouldn't you live this way. And so the same is true of marriage. So going on, verse, verse eight, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a, with, has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, 
the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For you, for how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So the first section of the scripture, he comes in and he says, look, to the married, I give this charge. Uh, to the unmarried, to the widows, I say. The first thing we have to understand is there's a lot of disagreement on the, who the unmarried is in this first text. One thing we do know is that he says to the widows, it doesn't include widowers. That, that word wasn't used very often at this time, widower. So it, it, when he says widows, it's really speaking to both male and female who have lost their spouses. So that's that group, and that makes sense. To the unmarried now, there's some disagreement. There's unmarried is in meaning never married, the people that have never been married, or does it include all unmarrieds, once married, not married, never been married, like engaged. What is, the, what is the group of people that it's really speaking to? In context, it makes most sense to think that this is just all those that are unmarried, whether they are divorced or single once or single from the beginning, or they've never been married, or the betrothed. It has to make sense there. Now, he does speak to the betrothed a little bit later, so we could pull them out of here, but his charge for them is slightly different. But he says to the unmarried and widows, I say this, it is good for them to remain single as I am. He's saying it's good to be single. Man, if, if we would just understand that as a church, I feel like a lot of college students would really be able to focus on studies and not be so worried about their futures, that it's really good to be single. It's not bad. Now, yeah, many of you, but I'll be lonely. But honestly, if you're putting loneliness as the expectation on your spouse, that's not the right reason to get married. Oh, so I'm not lonely anymore? But he says, if you burn with passion. Now, we have to be clear with this because what he's talking about is not some kind of like burn in hell. He's talking about burn with sexual passion, that this word burn doesn't mean, um, it's not like, oh man, I, I'm kind of struggling self-control and so I, I can't really maintain self-control. I keep looking at these girls lustfully and so I must, I just have to be married. No, what he's talking about is to be consumed with inward desire. Um, it's, this, it's this idea that, that in such a state, it's impossible to wait upon the Lord. You're so, you're so consumed with this idea. And he's saying this physically, which is why one of the other reasons why he said last week as married couples, don't abstain from sex. It's good. God created it. It's meant to happen with inside marriage. And so he's saying here, if you burn with passion, if you can't focus on serving the Lord and building up his church as single because you are just burning with passion, then it's better to be married. It's better to be married. Now, at the same time, if someone has a problem with lust or sexual sin, they should not think that getting married will solve that problem. I've met way too many people that assume, oh man, I'm just like, I just can't control myself and I can't wait to get married because then I can have sex all the time and it's gonna be amazing. And if you have trouble with self-control as a discipline, that doesn't just go away. It, you bring that into the marriage. What he's talking about is here, you can't live a life because you weren't gifted to stay single. You weren't gifted in this. The Lord has gifted you to be a married person, so then that's okay to pursue marriage and that's fine. He goes down a little bit further and he says, look, it's kind of better not to pursue marriage. There's a lot of, there's a lot of struggles that come in marriage. There's a lot of difficulties that come with marriage. But he says here, he says, if you burn with passion, if you can't, if you can't focus on serving the Lord because you know you want so badly to be served, then the first thing I would ask you to do is, is connect yourself with people. Is my desire just selfish? Am I just lacking discipline and self-control? Or is it truly something that, that, that God is, he's, he's gifted me in this way that I'm supposed to be married and so I'm gonna continue to pursue this in a healthy way and I'm not gonna just run to it, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna pursue it in a healthy way. And, and again, for what it's worth, guys, you, you can't, you can't, make that stuff go away in marriage. So to assume that that will fix that problem is just, it's just, it's just a really bad assumption. So that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, it's, it's good to be single, but if it's not going to work for you, if you can't focus, if you can't build up the church single, then, then go get married. It's okay. It's okay. Go get married. And then he goes on and he says, now to the married. Now in this context, to the married, this is the married believers. So he's talking to a believer and a believer. To the married, I say this, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. Now, 
we talked a little bit about this last week, but again, this isn't Paul's opinion that he's talking about here. He's not saying like, well, look, not I, but the Lord. Like, and oh, now we can listen because he's saying the Lord actually says this. What he's doing is he's, he's recognizing that there are certain commands that Jesus spoke to. In Jesus' day, when Jesus was teaching, he was speaking to predominantly Jews, and Jews wouldn't have married a, non, a, a non-Jewish person. I mean, it would have been so rare, so rare, because it was seen so horrible. And so it wasn't a context that he would have maybe had time to talk about. But here he says, look, Jesus has spoken to marrieds. He has spoken to believers. This is a command that comes from Jesus. That's all he's saying. He's not saying that this is less important. He's saying, look, this is what Jesus has said here. So as Jesus says, the wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Another landmine that's in this text is the word separate and divorce. In this day and age, separate and divorce was used synonymously. It meant the same thing. We today have the idea of like legal separation and then actual divorce, like there's stepping stones. That's the, the, the difference. In this, ta- in, this, in this day, separate was the same word as divorce. We even see Jesus say this, what two men have joined together, let no man separate, right? Like this is, this is him quoting Old Testament, Old, Old Testament scripture. It was common for them to use them interchangeably. In our day and age, we use the word separate differently than divorce. And I will say this, as a concession, <laughs> there may be cause for a separation in your marriage today. There may be. There may be abuse. There may be desertion. Like, I understand that. But what, here what he's talking about to the marriage is saying, you should not divorce. Now, I want to be really, really clear, and this is why I started the way I did. I understand as we start trying to dig into the scripture that there are people in here that are drastically and ridiculously affected by this text and what I'm saying right now. Please don't hear it as my words as the scriptures. Please don't check out. Please, please stay engaged in this. And let's, let's look at what God wants for us and let's submit ourselves to his will in this. But he's saying, if you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus, you, you should never divorce. And many will go to, well, Jesus gave, except for these, these, these kind of these two out clauses, right? Death, we see death. If, if you're widowed, then you can remarry. He says that here as well. And then the idea of sexual immorality or the, uh, an adultery. But even in that, it was, it, the whole point of divorce was because of their hardness of heart. And I don't know about you, but when it comes to my life and following the Lord, I don't want to sit on the clause that's like, because of my hardness of heart, I'm going to do this. I'd rather be in the spot where God says, this is what it means to follow me, live for me, and to serve me. And so he says, it's better to not separate, to not be divorced. And this is a question that was happening. And the reason why he's even having this conversation with believers there, which seems like it should just make sense, but like we see in the church today, it doesn't just make sense, is a lot of them believed that they should get divorced because of the fact that they thought that their marriage would be a distraction to serving God. So it was actually like a, like a, a holy reason. Now, many of us today will take holy-ish reasons and try and make them work within our setting so we can, we can justify action that's apart from Scripture. But it was, it was a genuine like, hey, I feel like I can serve the Lord better without it. The Apostle Paul even says a little bit further down, he's like, look, you have all sorts of anxieties and worries when you're married, so you can serve the, letter, the Lord better alone. But, but this is, he's saying, no, 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 no. A covenant is made before God. Like God says, two shall become one flesh. And then he says, let no man separate that. We need to throw in, let no state separate that. Let no situation separate that. I, I want to be really clear. Malachi 2, God hates divorce. And I say it that way, not because I'm trying to convict or hurt you guys, but because I want us to submit ourselves to what scriptures say and look at the lens, look at it then through the lens of that. Because I know many in here, many of you here are, are fractured by divorce. Some of you are going through it right now. Some of you are dealing with this in this place. So I'm not trying to make light of it. But at the end of the day, as a follower of Jesus, as a submitted child of God, you should not want divorce. You should not separate. And if you do, you should remain as unmarried. God gives us a really profound picture. I would just, your, your homework today, class if you would be willing on your Labor Day weekend before school starts for all you college students, go read Hosea. 
go read the book of Hosea and just look at what God shows his pursuit of us like through a marriage relationship. I feel like if many of us believers, many believers in the world would just submit ourselves to that idea, marriages would look drastically different inside the church, drastically different. He goes on and says, to the rest I say, so this is not the unmarrieds or the widows, this is another group of section. He says, I, not the Lord, that a brother has a wife who is an, unbelie- is an unbeliever. Again, the I, not the Lord, is that Jesus didn't talk about necessarily this, but, but this is still inspired word of God. It's not, not messed up. It's not his opinion here. And she consents to live with him. He should not divorce her. So what he's going through now, he's saying, okay, this is the situation. The question was coming. Hey, I, you came. I started, I, I started following Jesus and, and my, my wife or my husband, they aren't following you. They aren't following God. They aren't following the way. In fact, they're somewhat hostile to the way. And, and so because of that, wouldn't it be better for me as a believer to, to free this spouse to go so that I can serve the Lord and I'm, not, and I'm not in this way? And he's saying, no, 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 don't do that. Don't seek divorce. Don't do that. And he says the same thing as the opposite for husband to wife and wife to husband. He says, don't do it. Some of the people were asking that question legitimately because they wanted out of their marriage. So you got to remember that. There's some people that are genuinely thinking like, I can serve the Lord better if she's gone because she doesn't love the Lord. But there's some people thinking like, ooh, here's my out clause. She's not a believer and we're not supposed to do this. And the other question that was being put into this was this idea behind one flesh. And being one flesh with an unbeliever is really, really difficult because they're saying, what if this one flesh idea makes me unclean? And so there's this fear of, hey, am I, am I unclean because my wife isn't a believer? We're supposed to continue to be sexually active inside of marriage covenant. Does that make me unclean? And that was the question. What he's saying is ultimately no. No, in fact, it's the opposite. The, the, the follower of Jesus makes the other person holy. Now, we have to be really careful about this word holy. Really all it means is set apart here. He's not saying that an unbelieving spouse is saved by a believing spouse. We know that because a little bit further down, he says, who do you know? You don't know when someone will follow the Lord. You don't know when they'll, they'll be saved or not. You don't know those answers. But what he's saying, he's saying, look, and your children, they won't be unclean because of there. What he's saying is that there's profound blessing for the unbelieving spouse and the unbelieving children when there's a believer within the home. Many of you have seen this. You've seen this in your families. You've seen where someone comes to faith and then others start experiencing the gospel and they see the goodness of Christ, of Christ in the life of this person. And it starts pulling out in all sorts of people's lives. In fact, many of you have grandparents that they were the first to have faith and now you're just a part of a long line of people raised in the church because of their faith. So it's not a guarantee that those that are unbelieving will be saved. What he's saying is that those that are believers are meant to be light and salt and we're meant to love. First Peter tells us that we are supposed to live. He's speaking specifically to wives, but he's talking about how we are supposed to win over our husband with gentleness and kindness and say the same thing's true of a wife that's not believing. Like this, is the, this is the role. We are to win this, this person over, to love them, to serve them. Now, I want to put a really big caveat in here because as we get down in 12 here, there's basically like four or five don'ts that come out, right? First, he says, don't divorce your unbelieving spouse. Many people, many people, and I would say many people even with inside this church, many people with inside the church as a whole believe in this whole idea of missionary dating. They don't know the Lord, but I could save them if I just start dating them. And guys, that is just, not biblical. I mean, let, me be, let me just show you why I say that. First off, if you go a little bit further down in, in 7, he talks to the widows about being married, and he says, you can be married again in the Lord. Now, that's not like some cool, like, in the Lord statement, like, oh, like, amen. What he's saying is that you are free to remarry as a widow to someone that is a follower of Jesus. We see in 2 Corinthians, he says, you're not to be unequally yoked with someone. Let me just say this very clearly. Some of you, if you've experienced this, you're in this spot, if you're in the marriage of an unbelieving person, it's not like, sweet, I can f- run, which is what he's talking about here. 
It's your, it's your role to love them and to, to serve them and to point them to Christ ferociously and tirelessly. You don't know when or if they will be saved, but you are going to continue to play that role in their life because that's what you're supposed to do. If you aren't married yet and you're dating someone because they just they have great eyes or great abs or you like the way that they, they treat you or you're just really lonely, let me just tell you right now, you are causing grave danger and troubles for your life. You're causing so much pain and so much heartache. God is bigger than that. God can redeem. I'm not going to limit him, but many of us would say, well, he can redeem it. Then I'll just keep going for it anyways. There's no guarantee. There is no guarantee. You could be in a rock star submitting to the spirit of God for 50 years of marriage and, and, and lose your spouse as an unbeliever. There is no guarantee that just because you love the Lord that they will too. There's no guarantee. And so I would caution anyone. First off, I always say when anyone's dating, I was like, why are you dating anyways? First off, let's just answer that question. Because if you're just dating because that's what everyone does and there's attraction, you're kind of horny or whatever it may be, right? Like, it doesn't make sense. Why are you dating? But if the purpose is to date because you feel like you've been gifted into marriage and that you're going to bring light to Christ. Look, the whole point of marriage is for the world to see Christ in the church. It's not so you can be happy. It's not so you can be completed. It's not so you can not be lonely. It's so that the world around you will go, I love them. And I love the way they treat each other. And that just reminds me of this beautiful picture of Christ and how he, how he serves the church and the church and how she serves Christ. It's just profound. That's the purpose of marriage. And so to enter into a relationship with someone that doesn't know the Lord, you're just making a huge mistake. It's just, it's just never, like I've, most often what I see, and again, I love the exceptions to this. There are people in this church that had an unbelieving spouse that now is a believer and they're serving the Lord together. And it's beautiful. It did not come without pain. But most of the time, what I see in dating relationships is rarely does the unbeliever elevate to the level and expectations of Scripture that to a believer. It's always the opposite. The believer succumbs to what the unbeliever wants. Physically, what Scripture would say about everything else, and it's just not a healthy thing. And so I would highly recommend not to do it. I think the Scriptures are clear about this. They say, don't believe, don't marry someone that's an unbeliever. And he even talks a little bit more here because he says at the end, the purpose is, is to live at peace. And he talks about unbelievers leaving. Second thing that he says is, is don't worry about this whole being clean thing, being unclean thing. There's, you don't have to worry about that because you're not going to become unclean. In fact, the unbelievers will be a little bit more clean. They're not set apart in the sense of they're going to be, they're holy as, as in followers of Jesus, but they're set apart in that they are going to experience the blessings of being around someone that's submitted to God. They're going to experience the, the overflowing joy of what it means to experience grace and forgiveness because as you forgive, as Christ has forgiven you, they're going to see this thing that doesn't make sense to them. That's what the blessing they're going to get. That's how they're going to be set apart. And yes, there's a chance. There's a chance that they may be saved. And that's what we pray for, always, always. So in, in light of that, he's saying, if you have an unbelieving spouse, this doesn't mean like, sweet, I'm out. Instead, he says, no, stay. And then he goes on and says, and this next thing he says, um, don't keep an unbelieving person in marriage that they don't want. Now, this is a really sensitive topic, okay? Really sensitive topic because there are scholars that believe all over the board. We see two exceptions that Jesus gives to being remarried in, in, inside of Christ. We see death, and then if you, depending upon how you translate Matthew 19 or Mark 10, you see unfaithfulness, infidelity within the marriage, adultery. I would contend with you that I don't necessarily even feel like infidelity is an out clause. Again, we can, like, I, this is my, as I've studied the word, I'd love to have a cup of coffee. You can totally buy it, and we can pick each other's brains and, and talk about this. And I would love to, to, to study. I don't presume to say that I understand all of this, but this is just study time that's spent there. I really don't believe at the end of the day we're supposed to ask the question, what can I do to get out and still be okay? 
I believe the question is, that's not even supposed to be on our radar. I think the question is supposed to be, what can I do to show reconciliation, redemption, and the grace of God? What can I do to live obedient to Christ's life, despite that I'm getting trampled on? And again, let me say this very carefully. Please hear me on this. If you are in an abusive relationship or you are in a situation where things are not safe, please come to me. Please let us walk with you. There are ways with which we can help you that does not keep you in that abuse in that moment. It does not mean that you're free to divorce, but don't sit in there and assume that it's okay to just keep getting beaten and beaten and beaten. Please, please, please don't sit there silently. Please involve us. But what he's saying here now, and this depends on how the word you, you define on slave. He says here, he says, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved and God has called you to peace. Now, if he, if he was going to add a third out clause besides death and, and infidelity, depending upon how you define those two, in this situation, I don't think he would have used the word enslaved. I feel like you'd have been, it's, it's free to be divorced. You're free, you're free to move on. But I think what Scripture is saying here, and again, please hear me on this. I understand that this radically affects a lot of you individually, and, and I don't want you to just hear this and run. Like, hear this and run towards community and faith and people to walk with you. I think what he's saying here is, is it's better to let someone run, let them go, and not keep trying to hold them in and forcing them to stay so that there's no more strife within the home. But I still believe as the believer, your role and your job is to continue to pursue that person with inside the realm of peace. And I understand that means that a lot of people are like, wait a second. Well, uh, uh, again, at the end of the day, if our desire and goal is to live like God wants us to live, if our desire and goal is to submit to Scripture, then we can say without a, a doubt in our mind that God loves marriage and God is the holder of the covenant, not man. So we have to submit ourselves to that. Another thing I want to say, in even following up that, another don't that we get out of this is don't lose hope. In 12 through 16, I think it's very clear you don't lose hope. He says you don't know if your wife, whether or not you will save their husband or whether or not your husband will be saved. You don't, you don't know those things, so don't lose hope. And those of you right now that are in this spot where you're like, man, my, my, my wife has left me or my, my husband has cheated on me or whatever, whatever the, the justifiable reasons to say, you know what, I'm just done and run, wherever you're at, my, my, my plea would be just, just, just hold out and submit yourself to the Lord and let him walk you through this process because I, I promise you this, at the end of the day, you may end up being single for the rest of your life or you may get remarried depending upon how it happens. Again, that's not the purpose of this text. That's not the point. The point isn't what's gonna happen after. The point is what do I do as a follower of Jesus? If you look a little bit further down in seven, he literally goes in and says, so were you, were you a slave when you were saved? Then stay a slave. You're married when you're saved, then stay married. If you're single when you're saved, then stay married. He's basically his point is saying, it doesn't matter what position you're in. The purpose is bringing glory to God and living for his purposes. And so I would encourage you not to lose hope. If you are in here and you're like, man, I have, I have married an unbeliever and I've been like, just, it's just been horrible. I want to encourage you not to lose hope. I have, there are couples in this church I can connect you to that their husbands or their wives have come to faith and they're both serving God ferociously together. And it's beautiful. If you're in here and you're like, man, my, my, my wife or husband has just totally bailed on me and I'm in a complete, horribly lonely spot. This is where the church is supposed to excel. This is where it is. We are supposed to push in to those people and walk with them through those things and, 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 and help meet those very tangible financial and personal and individual needs. That's what the community of God's supposed to do. We're not supposed to turn our back on each other. And instead of worrying about what your future may or may not Instead of looking through, like a lot of these questions are, because I think that's where God takes us through the rest of seven. It's like, okay, these are great, great questions. But at the end of the day, what matters most is, is God. And it's his purpose and his doing. So don't lose hope. If you're here today and you are in a really broken marriage where you're like, man, I thought I married a believer, but the way that they're living is completely opposite of that. Don't lose hope. God is, is, is 
amazing. And his grace covers all sins you can think of. If you're in here and you're like, man, I totally by this, then I've, I sinned in divorce and, and now I'm remarried. So I mean, sin there, like, here's the great news. God's grace is sufficient for your sin. It's not like, oh, shoot. I know I said there was no unforgivable sins except for this one, apparently. So I'm going to go ahead and say divorce is this way. No, he's, he's, no, God's grace is sufficient. How do you serve God? How do you make right? What does reconciliation look like within your confines? Let us walk through that together. Don't run. And if you're here today and you're like, man, I, I want to run. I feel like I have every justified reason to bail on my house, or bail on my wife, bail on my husband, whatever it may be. If you feel like you have every justified reason, the only question I would ask you is, is to what end? Is to what end? And I, I, let, me, let me say this out. And please hear me on this. You will experience immense pain and sorrow whether you stay married or you don't. Jesus does not promise easy, safe, comfy, fluffy bunny life. The expectation in Scripture is very clear. Die to yourself. So my, my, my plea would be, before you run after the things, before you do these things, before you make these massive statements that the state and many other Christians or people might align themselves to, really ask the Lord, like, God, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? What, is it, what does it look like for me to submit to your word in this scenario? Because again, like I said, we don't have every single one. The band's going to come up and we'll pray. But as, as, we, as we work through this, again, I, I cannot plead enough for you guys to just, just stay put for a bit. A bit. Like just stay in it. Don't, don't run from God. Don't be afraid of, of, of the pain that may or may not come. Encourage you guys to push into the Lord in your circumstances. And if you are here today as a unbeliever, and you're like, man, I didn't realize what I was doing. I had a friend of mine come to me many years ago saying, I think I need to divorce my wife because she's a believer and I just can't get behind it. And I feel like I'm holding her back. And I said, hey, before you do that, let's just, let's just talk about why you're not a believer. Let's work through that. And as we work through it, you end up coming to faith. You got baptized and they're serving the Lord together. Is it perfect? No. Do they have a lot of issues? Yes. But God has been redeeming and redeeming daily and he can do the same for you. No matter how far gone an individual is, no matter how scary or ridiculous or astronomically horrible they seem, don't forget at one point you stood in front of the altar before God and said, I do. And as far gone as they seem right now, God is so much greater than the, than the, the, the ways with which we can run from him. He is so much stronger than the sinfulness of ourselves. He is so much stronger than the pains that will be caused. And he is so much more of a comforter than us running to find comfort in something else that's not a part of him. Let us walk as a community. So as your homework, besides reading Hosea, as a community, if you know someone that's wrestling with this, press into them. If, they're, if, they're, if they've been deserted, then you be that nuclear family. If they're a single person that desperately wants to be married, but they just can't get there, then you be that nuclear family for them. Be the church to one another. Don't wait for someone else to be the church. Just do it. And if you're in that situation, be relentless in reaching out to people over and over again. You should annoy the snot out of them. Be a burden because God says in Galatians 6 that we can be a burden to one another. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I know that it is incredibly difficult to, it's incredibly difficult to hear things in your scripture that at times would confront our very, very reality. But God, if, if your word isn't confronting us, then are we really living true to your word? If your word isn't, if your word isn't stretching us and, and causing us to be, want to be more and more like you, have we just given up on it, God? God, for the individuals that are in here that are in this right now, they have been deserted or they have um, been divorced or they're in a process of going through divorce or they, uh, they are thinking divorce. If they are your children, God, I pray that you would speak loudly to them, louder than their lawyers, louder than anyone else would say, louder than any random books they can read, but that, that you would just speak incredibly loud to them, that you have them. 
you have them. You've not lost them. You've not left them. You are there like you were from the very beginning. You were there like you were the day they stood at the altar with their spouse. You are there today and you will be there tomorrow, God. Would you remind them that they have you? And would you not let them fear the future like a lot of these questions that the Corinthians were giving to Paul? What do I do about this? What do I do about this? And the desire and the motivation can be to try and live true to God's word. But God, at the end of the day, we don't control that. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if we'll be breathing tomorrow, but you do. And so, God, I just pray that you give them peace, help them know that you have them. God, for the individuals that are in here that are married to someone that maybe they thought was a believer, but the way they're living isn't a believer, God, would you help them to push into community? Seek help. Let us be a place where people can actually be discipled and grow in their faith and be sanctified, where we can see you taking baby believers that are drinking milk and moving them into state, God. And God, for the individuals that are here today that have been um, fractured by divorce, God, would you help them to see that reconciliation is a beautiful thing? And in some ways, it, it may not even be possible. There may have been death or there may have been remarriage or whatever it may be. But God, would you, would you define to that person what reconciliation looks like? Would you help them to walk boldly and confidently alongside of your spirit, being led by him and obedient to your word? God, I pray that we would be a community of people that display what it means to be Christ in the church. That we would be that, that weird, weird hotspot number that doesn't make sense where 50% of marriages are failing except for in this church. And not that people would give our church glory, but that people would only see you and Christ and say, I, you in the church and say, I want to be a part of that. And God, for the, for the spouses that have deserted, that have run, that have gone crazy, bring them back. Wreck their hearts. Help them see the pain that's being caused in that. God, for the, for the spouses that have pushed people away, soften them, break their pride. Help them to walk in humbleness and gentleness and let that be the, the, the spirit with which someone is brought back into relationship. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your word and your time, and we thank you for the ways with which you continue to lead us to be more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.